So Saul's on his way to Damascus. He's got authority from the authorities in, uh, in Jerusalem uh, to arrest any people who are Christians and to bring them back and there to face imprisonment. And as he is on his way and nearing Damascus, he is struck by a bright light which caused him to be blind and he's struck to the ground there. And then he says, Lord, who are you? When the voice says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He replied, Lord, I wonder what he meant by that. It certainly didn't mean the Lord Jesus. Presumably he felt that this was the power of God speaking to him. So, Lord, who are you? And he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And so then Paul is told to go and get on his way, go into Damascus and there a man called Ananias, one of the very people that Paul would have locked away in prison because he was obviously a Jewish Christian and he comes and he helps Paul, Paul is there blind for three days and just lying there and then eventually Ananias comes and helps him, touches him puts his hand on him and Paul is received back in sight and is baptised and goes on his way. Well, that's the story that Sandy read to us and that's the story that we're thinking of today. Who is this Paul? Well, he had a double life. He has two names, which has often confused people. He's not one of those who had their name changed like Jacob to Israel. His name, he had two names all along uh, because he had a double past, as it were. He was brought up in Tarsus, which is a city in Turkey, uh, and there he was a Roman citizen, in fact, and very proud of the fact. And part of the Roman Empire, and funnily enough, the language of the Roman Empire was Greek. Um, and so he had a Greek name, which was Paul. But he was also brought up as a Jew, and there he had a Jewish name, uh, and that was Saul. And so to the Jews he was Saul, and to the Greeks he was Paul, and the, you know, the, no significance in all of that. But it does show that he had two backgrounds to him. He had the Greek background, and he had his Jewish background. As a Jew, he was brought up very strictly. In Philippians chapter 3, he says that he was... Um, Hebrew of the Hebrews, he said, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. Now, Pharisees have got a bad write-up, really, but they began well. Uh, their idea was that they would keep every aspect of the law, that they would fulfil faithfully what the law of the Old Testament said. Their aim was to follow it absolutely so that in a sense at the end of their days they could look God in the eye and say I'm a good chap and God would say yes you are. They got it, they'd made it. Uh, Jesus had to criticise them on more than one occasion because they looked down on people who couldn't live up to that high standard. In fact you've got to be a bit on the wealthy side to live up to that high standard. If you've got to go out and do a job of work it was difficult to obey every detail of the law as Pharisees wanted. In chapter 26 there's an extra bit when the voice from heaven speaks where Paul is again telling the story. There's an extra bit there and that is, it is hard for you, in the old authorised version, it is hard for you to kick against the pricks, was what it says. Modern translations have got something like, it is hard for you to kick against the goad. The picture is of um, some poor ox 
pulling his plough or pulling a wagon and they had sort of pointed bits which sort of, if he lingered behind, his back of his leg got poked and he moved on rather quickly after that. Or perhaps it was more human than that and somebody just poking this poor creature. But there it is, that's the picture that Saul has got. It is hard for you to kick against the pricks. Well now what were these pricks then that uh, Saul had met? Saul, as I said, was a Pharisee and wanted to live in perfect harmony with the law of the Old Testament. He despised those who didn't do it. And then come along Christian people. And these Christian people say, it's no good. Nobody can be perfect with the law of God. It is not possible. As Paul himself later on said in one of his letters, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But, and this was the second thing that Christians said, nevertheless, though you cannot fulfil all the law of God, you can still be acceptable to God because of what Christ has done. And if you accept his forgiveness, you will be acceptable to God. Everything that Paul believed in is undermined by that. By his own efforts, he was going to be able there to be acceptable to God. And these people were saying, you'll never do it, but never mind. You can have it another way. You can be acceptable to God by receiving what Christ has done. It destroyed what he'd been working at all these years, that he was going to fulfil another little bit of the law uh, and so on, to get this perfection that he'd been aiming at. And then he meets Stephen. Stephen, uh, he was uh, one of the deacons that we call them, one of the seven people who was appointed in the first instance. To, there was no National Health Service or Social Security in those days, so people um, looked after their own, and, and widows and orphans often fell into bad ways. And so the Christian church, just a side issue, I was always thrilled. There was a lady in this church called Elsie Hughes and she was in hospital at Milford Hospital once and I went to see her, she had no relatives except a distant nephew and, and there on the, above her bed it said washing to be done by the family and they'd got it on all the beds at Milford Hospital in those days. She hadn't got a family, who was her family? Us. Oh, I thought that was marvellous. Well that's the same story here really. I've forgotten where I was going to now. Um, <laughs> There he was then, sorry, where have I got to? Okay. <laughs> Stephen was one distributing food to the people there. He was clearly a good man in that sense. But then he is proclaiming these truths too, as he saw them, the truths that undermined what Paul stood for. And there he is. In the Bible, there is no word for martyr. It is used where we've got it there, but in fact, it's just the ordinary word for witness. It's translated many, many times. You'll be a witness and so on. And Stephen was a witness. Now, in fact, I'm not criticising the people who translated it as martyr here, but it is just the ordinary word. In that sense, Stephen was no different from the rest of us. So we've got two people who have an impact on Saul. We've got Stephen primarily, who was this goad, this prick that was pushing him. Something is wrong. And as so often happens, when people have got an interior struggle, they sometimes exteriorise it, as it were. They condemn most hotly the sins to which they are most likely to succumb. Oh, I've met people like that. Uh, and uh, that is what Paul did. Here he is. Uh, he was fearful that what Stephen was saying, 
is it true? Can It can't be true what Stephen is saying, that I can just be forgiven. I've got to work at it hard. And so he persecuted those people. I've got permission from Sharon to just tell this next story. I haven't got permission from Joe, but I have got permission from Sharon. Sharon and Charlie, uh, Sharon had finished her national service in Israel and came back to this country and began to work with Joe as a cleaner, which is all that Joe could find at the time. And there she met Charlie, uh, Charlie Watt, out at Allfold and became friends and more than friends with Charlie and so on. And I remember this conversation, Sharon tells me it's exactly 23 years ago that I had this conversation with her, uh, and here goes. They said, we want to get married. And I remember saying something like, well, in all the senses except legality, you're married already, you're living together, in commitments and so on. You, why do you want to get married? And they said, well, we want to do the right thing, and one day there might be children and so on. I said, okay. Why do you want to get married in church? You're not really sort of Christians. So, well, no, uh, but nevertheless, we do believe in God, and we want he, she, it, to be involved in this big step in our lives. I said, righto. Why do you want to get married in this church? Because in this church, mother's life has been transformed. Right. And so, I'll just add another side issue here, I think, which I have to say. Charlie, Ca- oh, sorry, Easter Day then. And another bit, Sarah, I see there, Sarah, uh, she- Sharon went on working, cleaning. One of the places she cleaned for was Sarah and there she saw a godly woman and who could speak to her as well as show an example. And all these things were working in Sharon's life until one Easter day God struck her in not a very different way from the way in which God struck Paul all those years ago. Charlie came to me some while after that and said, I wonder if I'm really a Christian. I've never had an experience like Sharon had. I said, well, neither have I. But are you there? Have you accepted the salvation that Christ gives? Do you trust in him for forgiveness and for power for the future? And he said, yes, he did. I said, well, you've arrived. You know, you're there. There's nothing more except to receive the power of the Holy Spirit to be transforming your life as well. And the result of that is, those two have done, and there must be nearly a thousand students in Zambia who have cause to thank God for what happened to those two people. And not just a thousand students, but all their friends and relatives and people whose lives have been transformed as well. But it all began simply because God came into their lives. Not everybody has a dramatic conversion, as Saul and Sharon did, but we get there, we get to that point, commit our lives... One of the other things where, you'll see now, I'm not used to preaching as I used to be really, and I'm getting in a muddle. Um, right, where have I got to? Oh yes, okay. One of the things are, we receive the forgiveness that Christ wants to give us, we accept his lordship, like Ananias, a simple chap about whom we know absolutely nothing, except that he did as he was told when God told him to go to this chap who's an enemy of the church, and you ought to go and speak to him kindly, he went. But there, sorry, I've got lost again. Um, the, work, the other bit is that the work of the Spirit is to come into our lives and to transform us. It has been said that in 1 Corinthians 13, we have these words, Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, etc. 
it's said you could, instead of, instead of love, you could put the word Jesus there. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus doesn't envy. Jesus doesn't boast. It's not proud. There's a song which we sometimes sing, though I don't think I dare sing it. It goes, Jesus, you're transforming me. By your spirit, you're making me like you. I might be able to sing that in some place where I wasn't known, but I have a job to sing it where people actually knew me, uh, to say, Jesus is transforming me. It's something like 70 years ago that I first received the Lord Jesus as my saviour. I'm not very sure that I'm much more Christ-like now than I was then. I hope I am, but I'm not sure. But there is a bit in the song that goes on that I'm very happy to sing, where it says, let me be willing, make me willing, oh, Lord, I ought to have written this down, didn't I? I thought I knew it. Help me to be willing to let you have your way. Now, I'm very happy for that to be our prayer this morning because we want to be transformed in this way. We want to become the people through whom Christ can work. So where have you got to in the Christian journey, I wonder? Most of us here have been Christians in some way, either dramatically or not dramatically, it doesn't matter. We've come into the kingdom of God. We've accepted Christ as our saviour and received the forgiveness that comes to us through what Jesus did on the cross and the resurrection. We've received the Holy Spirit and there are times when each one of us knows something of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives working with us. Now we've got to move on and receive that spirit to make us more like Jesus. And that's hard. You know, I know people who've given up the Christian faith because of what some Christian said, did. People can be put away from Christ by Christian people. In the same way, non-Christian people can become Christians as they see something of Christ in Christian people. And we pray that that may be the experience for each one of us here, that we may be the sort of Christian that other people can see something of Christ in us and turn to him. See if I can recite that whole psalm, that whole song. Jesus, you're transforming me. By your spirit, you're making me like you. Jesus, you're transforming me. And I've forgotten the next bit. Help me to be willing to let you... I am the, I, you are the potter, I am the clay. Help me to be willing to let you have your way. Jesus, you're transforming me. Is the phrase there. Help me to be willing to let you have your way. And then, who knows what may be the result of that. Maybe none of us here, I don't know that, why do I say that? I don't know that at all. There might be somebody here who becomes a great Christian and does wonderful things for the word of God and for his kingdom. But many of us won't. But we can do our humble bit like Ananias did. We can live our lives. We can be a martyrs. We can't, but oh, well, none of us are going to be martyrs, but we can be a martyrs. The word there is translated martyr, but it's all translated witness. We can be a witness to the power and the presence of God. And my prayer is that each one of us may be that.
Let's pray. Help us to be willing to let you have your way. So our Father, we do pray that you will transform us and make us day by day more like the Jesus whom we love and serve. Amen.